You know, it's, it's uh, no wonder that God knows exactly what we're going through, or it shouldn't be a wonder. It might feel like a wonder that we're in a chapter-by-chapter chapter series through a letter to the church, and God keeps meeting us right where we are every single week. It seems like there's something so specific that we could have never planned. And today, we are heavy-hearted. Today, honestly, I'm just going to call it like it is, me as a white leader in the church, I don't know what to say sometimes. And it's difficult to watch what we see in our world and have the conflicting emotions and we see all the different perspectives and the rage and the hate and the injustice. And then sometimes the church can lag behind in talking about what justice should look like. And we've been grieved. What The leadership of this church has been grieved. How do we speak into this? How do we stand in this gap for our brothers and sisters? We don't have the same experiences, but we know that this is wrong wrong and we've been praying and we still don't have the answers but I'm grateful I'm so grateful to God that he meets us right where we are through his word and that the truth the gospel truth of old that we just sang about it's not going anywhere and so we're going to dive into it today I'm going to try my best to walk through this, I hope you bear with me, but I do believe that this is a necessary message. This is a necessary day in our nation. And it's time for the church to take its rightful place at the forefront of what justice and liberty and freedom looks like. And I am 100% behind Brian, our senior pastor, and everything that he said before. I love his heart, I love the direction that he's leading us in. And we all join in with the one who is in control this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be going. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in that the whole chapter today. But before we get there, I just want to start with the words of Jesus that are very important and are going to help bring some context to what we're talking about today in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and he says something pretty pretty important to him. He says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. And now this is entering into the end of his life. Remember that. So they're around the table and they, they know like the things he's talking about, the way he's setting us up right now, it's coming to an end. And they, I imagine they're leaning into this moment. Ooh, a new commandment. Ooh, a new one. I'm tired of those old ones anyway. Give me some new ones. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, they will know, the world will know that you follow me, that you are my disciples. This is how they're going to know by the love that you have for one another. He's talking to us today too, church. They will know us by our love for one another. And what the disciples uh, were wanting to be new actually happened to be the fulfillment of all that was old because he, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And when he says love one another, he's making it known that all of the law that was given 
is fulfilled in this commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. And so that's where we're going today. That's what this chapter is about. Spoiler alert. I know if you've read it this week, hopefully you have. We're, in, we're still doing soap journals uh, as a church. So hopefully you've read that to, together this week. And I know on the outset, this chapter may seem a little bit strange and it may not seem too applicable. Well, those are the kind that are exciting to me because when you get underneath them, you see they're very applicable. Still strange, but very applicable to us. This chapter is about love. Let me paint the picture of the context a little bit. First Corinthians chapter eight, the people of God were arguing about this issue of food being offered to idols, okay? Essentially, we've got two groups right now, the Jews, and the Gentiles. The Jews, you remember, they have all of these rules, regulations, laws that they live by. And when it came to food, when it came to meat specifically, they had to make sure that the meat was clean. It couldn't be any old meat, okay? It had to be ceremonially clean. And so they knew exactly the process that it went through. And the Gentiles now, remember, they, they're just coming into the scene as Christians. They're just coming into the scene as brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus because throughout, his, for, throughout history, the Jews were the people of God, the chosen people of God, the people of Israel. But we know that because of Jesus, the wall of hostility has been torn down and all are welcome in. And so the Gentiles are coming in with all these different ways of doing things, right? And the Jews are saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You're the new kids on the block. You don't get it. That's not what being a Christian is. Us Christians, now we know what Christians are supposed to look like. And you can't eat that. You can't eat this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't. And the Gentiles are like, what do you mean? I, I thought there was grace. What happened to Jesus in the cross? And what are you, you're preaching this and then you're doing this and I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean? And so we've got this collision of opinions, right? two different sides. And Paul is addressing both of them. And the way he does it is masterful. And he answers with the same uh, answer to both of their sides. And we, we look at verse one of, of chapter eight, first Corinthians, and I'm going to read this. this. This is Paul addressing the Jews. Okay. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you have a highlighter or a pen or blood, I would do something with that part of the verse because it, it makes sure you remember it and go back to it. If you like things to put on your uh, refrigerator at home, that'd be a good one too. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verse two, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul says, you think you know all. You think that you've got it all figured out. And you think that because you're here in your mind with all of this knowledge and moral authority that the Gentiles are down here until they know as much as you know and then they can be on the same playing field. You think that that's what this is about. You think that you know, but what I wanna tell you is knowledge puffs up. This knowledge, if you're not careful, is gonna lead you to arrogance. And I know that you're in the, in the church house all day long. And I know this is Paul talking to the Jews, but it might be talking to you. I don't know. I didn't say it. Paul said it. I know you're in the church house all day long debating theology. 
And I know that you're watching all the YouTube videos on what's Reformed theology, what's, you know, Arminian theology. You got all these arguments for how to do this and that. He's just said that, can't believe it. And you think that you know. But you're spending all your time in the church house and when you step outside of the church house, stuff starts to look a little different and things start to come at you and you realize that you're just puffed up. You're, you know, the in the world, not of the world type of thing. That's all great. As long as you're actually in the world to rub up against socially distanced with people. You can't be in the world, not of the world, in the church house all day long and then back home and then watching YouTube and podcasts about theology. That's not what this is about. You're missing the whole point. One-sided knowledge, one-sided knowledge is not the way of God. Now, knowledge, this is what my brother was playing with earlier. Sorry, he did a great job. Carter, wherever you are, love you, man. Appreciate you helping me. Knowledge puffs up. We know what that looks like. Looks like a balloon, a red balloon. It was white earlier and I tested it and it busted and then I had a backup and it busted. So now we're red, but red kind of seems like pride because knowledge puffs up. And when you walk outside of the church house and you're all puffed up with all the knowledge you can find and grab and you just got all the small group, you got six small groups a week and Sunday morning church. And you're just walking around with your church chest, you know, that's what I call it, like this church chest, inflated, puffed. And then something comes around. Life comes at you, and it comes in, in different forms, but reality hits, and when all you have is knowledge, it's gone. That was you, <laughs> you know? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's the bubble or balloon and the brick. So what happens when your life is, yes, you have knowledge for God. Yes, you know God. Yes, you are pursuing knowledge for your creator, but it's not one-sided intellect. It's also full of love because when you really know God, you love God. And when you love God, you love one another. That's how this works. And so what happens then is love builds up. And Paul's brilliant. He gives us the picture. And the same thing that comes at you in life, the same reality, the same temptation, the same fill in the blank that comes at you when your love has built you up, the same thing is gone. Because knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Paul says, Jews, I want to be clear with you in all the love that I have because I understand where you're coming from and I know that you, you mean well, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. So then he shifts gears. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. He starts talking a little bit to the Gentiles here. And he says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. But take care, verse 9, but take care, verse 9, but take care, verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block 
to the weak. Paul says, if you're asking the question of whether or not I can eat food or I can't eat food, you're asking the wrong question because it has nothing to do with where the line is. Some of you are parents and you know what that's like. Like your kids just gotta find the line, you know, and they keep pushing it. They get up to the TV or the oven. That's my favorite one. They get up to the oven. For some reason, we wanna touch the oven from a, from a like six-month-old age, you know? And they get close and they look back. Daddy, is daddy gonna tell me no? Where's the line? Where's the line? Push it a little further. Push it a little further. Where's the line? We wanna do that with the Bible too. We wanna go Google about what we can eat, what we can drink, what we can fill in the blank. And Paul says, you know, I get it and I appreciate it, but that's not really the point. That's not really the point. Don't let your rights, do you have the right to eat this meat? Do we know that these idols that they've been sacrificed to are non-existent and it means nothing anyway? Yeah, we know that. Are you allowed to eat the meat? Is it, are you, is it permissive to eat the meat? Is it permissive to drink that drink? Is it permissive to do this? That's not really the point. Sure, it's permissive. Grace has come. Jesus has come. And he has fulfilled the law. And we live under a different covenant now. But take care that this right doesn't become a stumbling block for your brothers and your sisters. What is that about? That's about love. It's not a question of permission. It's a question of love. So Paul switches it. He turns it on its head. And I want you to, I want you to fill in the blank. What is that there? It may not be food for you. What is that there that you want, that you love, that you, that you, you have a right to do, you have permission to do, it's okay, but it's becoming a stumbling block for your brothers and your sisters. What's in that blank? And take care that it doesn't become a stumbling block for your brothers and your sisters. The purpose of this chapter is to address the issue of food being offered to idols. But the point of this chapter is love one another. Paul is pointing us to Jesus, to what he said and what he did. And he's saying, I get it. But you're missing the point. The point is to love one another. So that word love, I know it's like we use it a lot. It's a big word. It's a small word, but it's got a lot of meanings. And the, the world has convoluted it. The world has dampened it. The world has weakened it. Sorry, I got there. I finally got to the word that needed to be said. Convoluted? What are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> weakened. Watered it down. We don't know what love means anymore. So what is love? Let's look at the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? If you've been to a wedding, some of you are going today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Eric and Alberto. Some of you have heard this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Are you preaching it today at the, at the wedding? Praise God. Every other wedding that you've been to preaches this text, right? It's the love chapter. It's a great chapter. I'm not making fun of it. I love it. I want you to think about love in terms of what love does. What is the work of love? That's what we're gonna think about. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we see characteristics. It's really interesting because love is really better explained personified. Hello, whole point of the whole Bible is Jesus, love personified. 
different sermon series. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. Love is patient and it is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist, oh boy, this one, this is it. Like, this is the one, you know? Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hello, more on that in a minute. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Let's get practical for a second. I'm going to give two examples of what I believe the work of love needs to look like. Okay, two Current examples of how we should be responding in love. What does love do? What is the work of love? First example, two weeks. Two weeks, 7th, 14th. Reopen. Welcome back to church, 14th. Come, we'd love to see you. Two weeks, we're opening church. What's it gonna look like? What's it gonna look like when our brothers and sisters come through these doors and spread out over this room and come in contact with you and with me. What are we gonna do? Newsflash, we're still in a global pandemic. It's called the coronavirus. What are we gonna do when people come in? Let me paint the picture a little clearer. I've seen churches do this. We've been talking about this. I think it's good. I think it's simple. I think it's brilliant. Green light, yellow light, red light. There's three uh, distinctions on this sliding scale of where we are with COVID-19. Some of us are green light. I'm going to illustrate what green light is. Woo! Come on! Give me a hug! You know? I'm ready to be back in the house of the Lord. Praise God. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about it. Whoever's worried about it can go on. Give me a hug! You know? That's a green light. Not putting it down, not making light of it. It's a green light. Yellow light is like, yeah, man, like, I hear you, but I'm going to pound you, you know? <laughs> I'm with you. I believe it. I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to pound you first, you know? That's the yellow light. A little bit more cautious. Nothing wrong with that. Red light is a little different, and she's going to hate me but this was my wife until about 10 days ago, <laughs> okay? We had bottles of, of, of alcohol. It, like she bought, she literally bought two dozen miniature spray bottles and filled them with alcohol. She put them on every nightstand, in every car, in every seat, on the couches. She just like on the tables, hey, uh, after you get up, spray. You know what I'm saying? That's a red light. But here's what I wanna say. We're going to have different people coming in this place in a couple weeks. You see them at the grocery store. You see them out. You know what I'm talking about. There's going to be people on that scale in a couple of weeks. What are we going to do when we come in contact with somebody that's on a different side of the spectrum? Let me just say something really quick. If you're a red light, that is okay. This, it doesn't mean you have less faith because you're more cautious. We're not gonna make this about you are less of a Christian than me. 
what we're going to do as a church, if I may say so, is we're going to do the work of love to know where you are and where you are and where you are. How can I know where my brother and sister is so that I can meet them where they are? So that we can treat each other with honor and love and dignity. So that we can all walk in here as we are. Man, we talk about it all the time. Come as you are. Blah, 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 blah. As long as you're not a red light, you know? No! No, let's do the work of love. Let's figure out the other person. Let's come to them with honor and dignity and love. I'm not putting anybody down. I love the green lights. I love the red lights. To be honest, I'm more of a green light, but that's okay. What are we gonna do? What's the work of love? We gotta start thinking about this stuff. Second example, hard example. Second example, what does love do about injustice? And racism. What does love do? What does love do when there is violence, inhumane, in, just despicable violence against our fellow man? What does love do? Are we asking the question? Is it important to anybody that something that has been going on for 500 years? Violence and oppression and racism. 500 years is bubbling to the surface, not because it's new. We've got cameras now everywhere. What does love do? What does love do? It's not a secret what we're going through. It's not a secret that our cities are burning right now, that people are crying out for help. What is the church going to do? What does love do? We've got to ask the question. Let me tell you what I think the work of love is. We already talked about it in 1 Corinthians 13 a little bit. It says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So what's the truth? I wrote a few things down. Here's the truth. The truth is, God created man in his own image, male and female, all males, all females, Genesis 1:27. The truth is, God created man in his own image, and that's all males and all females. I did not mean to read that again. I missed my spot in my notes. Keep going with me. The truth is, God shows no partiality or favoritism, Romans 2:11. No favoritism. The truth is the dividing wall of hostility, the racial wall of hostility that was there when the cross came, by the way, it's not new. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down by Jesus on the cross. Ephesians 2 verse 14. The truth is that the veil was torn, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That way all kinds of people could come into the presence of God. Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. The truth is the throne of God in heaven is surrounded by every tribe and every people and every language and every tongue right now praising God. Look it up, Revelation 7, 9. I'm not trying to yell at you. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just telling you, if you think heaven is going to look like you only, you're missing it. There's beauty in our differences but there's only one who can unite us eternally. And so we can ignore it all we want. 
Fact is, it's easier for Archer if, I mean, here we go, you know, honesty, transparency, it's a value. We haven't written it down as a value, we might as well. Honesty and transparency. It's easier for our church to ignore these things because we are predominantly the same. But it was not easy by any stretch of the imagination for Jesus to walk that road all the way to the cross and hang there the whole time and have in mind that this act was going to be final and it was going to liberate all who would come to him. All. We don't have a choice. If we're following Jesus to settle into our church routines and our church houses where we all look the same. Ah. We don't have a choice. It's time for us to rise up. It's time for the church to talk about justice and talk about our role in love. Paul concludes Remember, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul concludes the chapter with verse 13, and this is what he says. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. What kind of love is that? Fill in the blank. Take food out and fill in the blank. If this makes my brother or sister stumble, I will never do this. Or you can read it and eisegete it and hope that it only means food sacrificed to idols so that it never applies to your life. I'm sorry, that's not what this text is about. This text is about loving one another. Fill in the blank. How far are you willing to go? How far are we willing to go for our brothers and our sisters? What is the work of love? This is not about rights or comforts or pleasures. Love is sacrificial in that it gives up rights for the brother and the sister. It gives up comforts. It gives up its sacrifices. Look at Jesus. He's the model. He's the model. And he said, love one another as I have loved you. I wonder if we really even know what that means. I wonder if you've counted the cost. I wonder that if you, when you look at the cross and you look at what Jesus went through, I wonder if you think about it in terms of, oh man, he's asking me to follow him, which means I gotta walk that road too. Oh man, when he says carry my cross, maybe he's talking about sacrificing my rights for my brother and my sister. What does love do? What is the work of love? We know that love builds up. And at the cross, we saw that. We saw that on a grand scale. And you, you look at Jesus. You look at what he went through. The beating and the scourging where the whip had a ball on the end of it with bones coming out and shards that were ripping flesh off of his back. He's walking this road, the verbal assault on the way there, the spitting and the mockery for the son of man. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him and also to hurt him. 
And he took that crown and he wore that crown. And the crowd, as he's, as he's walking up and as he's hanging on the cross, the crowd is fierce and they're angry and they're yelling at him and their slander is severe. And then they get him on that cross and they put nails in his feet and on his hand and through his hands. And he takes it. He takes it and he takes it blow after blow. And then he's hanging there. He's hanging on the cross for you and for me. He's hanging there. And what actually killed him was the fact that he was suffocating from holding himself up because the nails were in his hands and in his feet and there was nothing else securing him. And eventually he suffocated. Eventually he let go. And don't forget that when he was thirsty, they gave him vinegar. And beyond that, his disciples fell asleep in the garden. All of the things Christ went through, all of the rights that he laid down. And he never gave up. He went all the way there. Why? Because this is the nature of love. To go all the way there, to sacrifice our rights for our brothers and our sisters. He said, love each other the way I have loved you. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a sensation. Love is not seasonal. It's not haphazard. Love doesn't come and go as it pleases. It's not indifferent to what our brothers and sisters are going through. Love is work. And in Christ, that work is complete. This is what we believe. This is what we profess. This is the work of love. Love builds up. Look at what love has built. Can we look at the cross enough? The answer is no. Especially on days like today and last night and the night before when our cities are burning. We've got to remember what Jesus went through for all of us. The injustice that he took on so that we didn't have to. And here we are bringing injustice on one another in our world. He died for that. Look at what love has built. And now in the cross, there is a bridge. And Jesus is saying, come and follow me to glory. But it's gonna cost you. Love is gonna cost you. Following Jesus is gonna cost you. But this light and momentary affliction doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that far exceeds anything that we can ask, think, or imagine. These are the words of Paul. Don't forget, there's a hope of glory on the other side. I wanna read 1 John chapter 4, verses seven through nine. This will help us understand love a little deeper. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God 
and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love personified. What is the work of love, Jared? The work of love, the greatest work of love we've ever seen was on the cross. And what it built for us is eternal. Now it's time to live in that. Now it's time to walk in that. Now it's time to go through this life with our head up towards the cross at Calvary, knowing that Jesus has conquered it and he's in heaven forevermore and we're going there with him. It's time for us to rise up and take some people with us. What is the work of love? We're heartbroken today, but we have a great hope. And the invitation today is the same as it was 2000 years ago when the church was born. And that is to come to Jesus. In him, you have all that you need. So Father God in heaven, we say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what it means to love. Thank you for proving once and for all that in you there is life and life more abundantly for all who will come and call upon you as Lord of their life. God, I pray right now, whether it's in a kitchen, whether it's in a bathroom, whether it's right here in this room today, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. And if there is somebody that doesn't understand this truth, if there's somebody that's being prodded right now in their heart, that their, their heart is being open to the truth of the gospel, God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit right now and that they would call out to you as Lord and surrender to you as Lord of their life forever. And they would follow you with everything they have. God, do it. Perform a miracle in this moment for someone who needs it. God, I pray for our country right now. I pray for our brothers and our sisters in the black community that are hurting, that are crying out for help. God, I pray that you give them peace today. I pray that you give them comfort today. I pray that you give them hope today to know that you are still in control and that you can be their peace. And God, I pray that you do it through your bride, the church. I pray that we would rise up in such a time as this to be the voice for the voiceless, to be to show them that there is a hope even when it feels hopeless. Even for hundreds of years, nothing seems to have changed. I pray, God, that injustice would end and it would be because of your church and your power. And God, we're grateful that you have not left us and that you're not gonna leave us. So in this moment, I pray that we could center our focus on you and you alone and that all else would fade away and that you would be enough 
for us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.